Welcome to the 235th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's podcast on family farming, sustainable agriculture, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. These days, chances are if you live in a rural area, you or someone you know is experiencing more stress than usual. No wonder. Low commodity prices and lack of access to consistently profitable markets have combined to send farm income plummeting. For the past six years, more than half of farmers and ranchers lost money on their crops and herds. Small and medium-sized dairy farms have been hit especially hard, with more than 800 Wisconsin milking operations going out of business in 2019 alone. On top of that, record-setting rainfalls and other extreme weather events have made it increasingly difficult to plant and harvest a decent crop. The high level of economic, emotional, and weather-related stress has taken its toll, with many farmers not knowing where to turn for help. It's easy to feel alone at times like this. That's why the Land Stewardship Project, in partnership with the Isaac Walton League of Minnesota, recently held a pair of workshops that featured resources for farmers who are struggling to survive and thrive in the current environment. At these workshops, a panel of experts discuss ways of handling economic, emotional, and even agronomic problems. Their overall message was straightforward. You are not alone. Help is available. In this podcast, we're featuring excerpts from one of those panel discussions, which was held in Preston in southeastern Minnesota. First, we heard from Dan Miller, a southeastern Minnesota crop and livestock farmer who's also a farm business management instructor. The Minnesota Farm Business Management Program, which is run through the Minnesota State Colleges and University System, works with farmers to improve record-keeping and provide in-depth financial and profitability analysis of agricultural operations. During the panel discussion, Miller discussed why during tough times it's important to do everything from getting plenty of sleep to keeping your sense of humor. It's also important to accept that certain things are simply out of your control. The focus was on kind of resiliency. Wanted to talk a little about resiliency. It has been a challenge at times. I guess the biggest thing I would say, and Cynthia and the rest of the folks here will talk about it too, but um, you know, keep yourself healthy, body, mind, and spirit, eating good, making sure you have enough sleep, focus on your your value, what keeps you going. Probably most people values, ethics, faith, morality, family, uh, all of those things. One thing that uh, Ted Matthews, uh, one of the support psychologists, uh, focused a lot on is in the business of farming, maybe 40% of the variables we can control, which is good, but 60% we can't. And a lot of it is timing. You know, if you start farming in 1981, you're probably broke by about 1986. If you start in 1986, you're probably in good shape. Just timing, macroeconomics, interest rates in the 80s. Now we've gone about six years without uh, exceeding the cost of production on a lot of our ag commodities. Net farm income. Net farm income last year was about half what it was in 2013. Return on investment hasn't exceeded 3% in the last six, seven years. Well, that doesn't work real good if you're paying 5 6 7% interest to use other folks' money. Our objective is to make money when we use other people's money. So, you know, and, and we've lost money on corn, a major crop, in the last six years. It's not just, it's industry-wide. Some folks with, let's say, less leverage are doing better than um, others that are maybe more highly leveraged. But industry-wide has been a challenge. 
Attorney Stephen Carpenter is with Farmers Legal Action Group, also known as FLAG. This group is a nonprofit that works with farmers on legal issues. Carpenter discussed what rights farmers have when they're threatened with actions such as foreclosure and the importance of opening the mail, even when, or especially when, you suspect it contains bad news. So in the midst of a farm crisis, this one or the 80s or really... Uh, that sort of group of folks struggling really kind of any time. A few things are going to be really important from a legal point of view. One of the first things is going to be, I think you just call it a credit crisis or a credit crunch. You know, when people aren't making as much money, it's harder to get loans, it's harder to pay back loans. Almost everybody needs operating credit. That's going to lead some people to need to shift lenders. If you've been doing a farm credit system or a bank, you may need to get a guaranteed loan. You may need to get a direct loan from FSA if that's what's necessary. Please don't use credit cards. I've certainly seen that before. Um, it's not not a good plan. But the main thing that I wanted to point out is that when you go in and everybody's having a tough time and you want more credit and the bank or the lender is really kind of pausing and wondering if that's just really a good idea. You know, some of the things that they might do, for example, bring the interest rate up some, you know, you have an understanding of what that means um, and you can make that decision. I really am concerned though about when banks and other lenders ask for additional collateral from a new loan. One of the things that I hear fairly often, I'm sorry to say, is that people in trouble will say, I had no idea that when they rolled over this operating loan, we put the land in as collateral, sometimes including the house. You know, the, the bank wants to get paid, and they're worried about things not going well, and the way they can make sure they're going to get paid is basically to have a lien on everything. That may be the right decision for you. My hope is that you will just understand what it is that you're doing because that land, that house, whatever, extra equipment, more crops, whatever, that's all now in danger, vulnerable to a creditor action. And also, other creditors will know, will see, it's a public record, that you have offered, say, this piece of land as collateral. So if you want to use that land for collateral for something else, your new creditor is going to go, oh, hey, I don't want to be behind the bank on this. So there's sort of a domino effect to collateral and offering more collateral for what might normally be operating loans. And, and as I say, I have no opinion of whether it's a good idea or not. I just want you to understand what it is that you're doing and be careful with it. If you're late on a payment or you can't make a payment, there's a whole range of things that lenders can do. And what we're passing around right now is a book that we wrote at FLAG. It's, a com I would say, a complete guide to debtor-creditor law for Minnesota farmers. So, you've got a mortgage. You're late. What can the bank do? They can foreclose, eventually. But there are rules that they have to follow. And what this book is, does is spell out the rules. And what if you have... What lawyers will call personal property is collateral. That would be machinery or your crop. Um, and you don't pay your loan, what can they do? They can come and repossess. We all know that that happens. And that book has a chapter on how that, what the rules are. Um, the same for uh, unsecured credit. When they get judgments against you, there are a set of rules. So it's not a happy topic, but it's real life. And so what I hope that you can do or you're, you know, when you're working with other people is understand what those rules are. You do have rights. You know, the bank, the lender holds a lot of cards. 
but you have some cards too. And so what those materials are for is to help you understand your rights in that situation. That book that's being passed around is online. It's a completely free to look at, download, print, you know, do, do whatever you might with it. There's also a chapter on farmer-lender mediation. There's a chapter on leases and how they work in Minnesota. So it's really intended to be, from a farmer's point of view, how this stuff works. Third thing that I wanted to point out when times get hard and, and things are difficult is that it's super easy to kind of act like it will all go away. Um, it's hard enough to get up in the morning sometimes. It's especially hard to face a hard reality. Open the mail. See what's happening to your farm and your family through the legal system. And what I really, really want to emphasize to you is that as hard as it is, you have got to respond. You have to be active. The worst thing possible is not to open the mail. So if you get a notice from a creditor that says, you know, you're late, it's going to talk about farmer-lender mediation, you have got to respond. It will only get worse. Only, only get worse. And I, you know, I sort of say this in a joking way. I feel, I always feel like a Debbie Downer here because just talking about all the bad things. But this is real. I'll just give you a tiny example. If you're in a situation where you're going to have to sell some property to pay back a debt and you don't act, and what happens instead is that there's a foreclosure or a repossession. You will have lost a lot more money and lost your power to, con if, to do anything to control the situation. You may not want to sell <coughs> some acreage to pay back a debt, but at least if you do that, you choose which acreage. You find a buyer. You get a fair price. If you let them foreclose on you and take it, they'll charge you thousands of dollars of fees, including their lawyers. They'll like they literally will charge you for their lawyer's time to take your property from you. Thank you very much. And it's in your loan agreements. If you don't believe me, go, go look at them. It's tucked away in there. But it will be much, much worse if, if you don't act and they come and take it from you. I just cannot emphasize that enough. Further, when you get a, something in the mail that says you're eligible for farmer, lendi, farmer lender mediation, I cannot emphasize enough how important it is to understand that process and take part in it. And the first thing I would suggest that you do is call a farm advocate. There's a little flyer in your packet. So farm advocates are in Minnesota. There's, again, nothing quite like them anywhere else. There's similar organizations, but it's the state of Minnesota. MDA funds it and spend very little money doing it, but it's a terrific resource. And so basically these people are spread around the state. They're geniuses at cash flows and figuring out ways to restructure loans and helping you deal with a mediation. They are just, they're farm people and they, they're just there to help their neighbors. They make a little bit of money doing it, but if you want to get rich, you don't become a farm advocate. But they're a great resource. They are really, really good at what they do. They'll just sit at you with you at your kitchen table and help you with the financial details. I think of them as sort of geniuses with a cash flow. And so that's one of the essential things that I would say in taking an active role. I mean, open your mail, call a farm advocate, get some help. You know, there's no silver bullet here. But things can be bad, and they can be much, much worse. And you want to keep them to bad. I think it's always worth talking for just a few minutes about bankruptcy. Um, it's a bit of a dirty word. You know, you have a sort of a, a lot of moral and ethical 
hesitation about bankruptcy. I have, again, no, on this, no view about whether anyone should ever do it or not, you know, from a moral point of view. I will say to you, though, that the United States Constitution mentions bankruptcy specifically. The Founding Fathers did some good things and maybe not some not so good things, but one of the good things I think they did was think we are going to have the ability, if someone gets buried in debt in this country, there's not going to be a debtor prison. There's instead going to be a set of bankruptcy rules that allow people to get a new start in life and not be forever buried in debt. Maybe you don't want to take you know, participate in that, that's totally up to you. But the laws are there, and Chapter 12 in particular can actually work, not in every case, but if you have a lot of unsecured debt, or if you have debt that the collateral is worth less than the loan, a Chapter 12 can work. There are people out there still farming, a lot of them, that did Chapter 12. Further, Chapter 12 possibility is always in the background. It's your power when you negotiate with a lender. Because what the lender knows, even if you never say it, is that you can do a bankruptcy. So I really like to see people understand how a bankruptcy would work for them. So just have that in your back pocket as you talk to a lender, um, because that is your power. That's a big piece of your power. Um, two final things. One is that there are unscrupulous people out there just cannot wait to take advantage of desperate farmers with scams. And I'll just say the trite phrase, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. You know, I'm not saying don't do alternative crops. I'm not saying don't go organic. But when people come up with some sort of very odd plan where they are going to take an ownership interest in your farm, but they're going to get you a super great loan at almost no interest, and you're just, you don't really quite understand what this is going to be, but it's going to put a lot of money in your pocket in the short term, that's a scam. I mean, the people out there I don't, I'm not hearing a lot going on right now in Minnesota, but I know there was a guy in Missouri that just got caught doing a cattle pricing scam. I mean, I hope he goes to prison. But you just got to be really aware. The last thing I'm going to say is that uh, we tend to assume that all farmers are white men, and like me, but that's actually not true, and it's really never been true. Of course, in, in Minnesota, as in other places, there are non-white folks farming. We have, but also, in particular, a lot of women farmers. You know, when I finished high school, I could have gone to an FMHA office and said, hey, I want to, you know, take this little dairy and start milking 200 cows. Would you give me a loan? And the FMHA people would have said, of course we would. But if my sister had gone in, you know, who'd done the same stuff on the farm, uh, they would have said, basically, well, I don't know, why don't you just get married and come back and talk to us? And that's changed a lot, I'd like to think, but not enough. And so if you're trying to make it through this sort of stuff, we know that there's discrimination. USDA's had a problem with it. Lots of places have had problems with it. And my point to you is that it's not just wrong, it's illegal. So I urge you not to tolerate it. Cynthia Christensen is a psychiatric nurse who also offers therapy services through Oak Ridge Teletherapy in Rochester, Minnesota. She provided tips on how to determine when someone is depressed or having other emotional problems and what to do before it's too late. Christensen also made the case for treating mental well-being as a kind of investment in the long-term viability of one's farm. I'm a firm believer that we have to save ourselves. And we've done a lot of talking today about community. And I think we have to come together as communities and support each other. I'm a real practical person, and I kind of think of it like we're going to have to ride herd on each other. 
And just like if you go and feed your cattle and there's a steer that doesn't get up and come to the bunk, you don't just drive off, right? You park the, you put the tractor, you stop the tractor, you get off, and you go out in the lot and see what's wrong with that steer that didn't get up, right? And it's the same thing with each other as community members. If somebody begins to isolate or they just don't seem themselves, you know, we have to have the courage to say, you know, what's going on with you? Um, and reach out and, and connect. Like Chad said, you know, his dad or somebody went, used to go over to the neighbor and talk. One of my neighbors um, told a story about how when he was out in the field planting in the spring, he'd see like five or six lights of his neighbor farmers doing exactly the same thing that he was doing. And there was great comfort in that, being part of something. And he said, now there's no other lights. You're the only one out there. And it's a lonely, it's a lonely place to be. So I think that um, we're a community of helpers. Two nights ago, I, I stopped. You know, you can't drive and talk on your phone anymore. So um, I was pulled over talking on the phone, and there were three cars that went by, and they all, they all put on the brakes. Like, does she need help, or what's she doing? You know, kind of thing. That's, that's just what we do. You know, if you, if you see somebody's cattle out, you just don't drive off, you try to figure out who's got cattle around, and you call them, and you help them get them in. And, and yet, I think when we think about mental health things, we kind of are like, I don't want to see that, because I don't know what to do about it. So I think we need to educate ourselves a little bit. And there's a little card in your green folder that's called the signs and symptoms of stress. And I just want to take just a couple minutes to, to look at some of these. Um, I'm a pretty good therapist and psychiatric nurse, but I can't read people's minds. And people are pretty good at faking, especially farmers. You're good pretenders, right? Just lock it down, right? And just hope it gets better. So I like to look at behavior, because what you're thinking is reflected in what you're doing, okay? And some of them we, we all know, but just if you're worrying about, and this could be yourself or other people you know. Um, worrying about things you didn't worry about before. You've lost interest in doing things you used to enjoy. You can't concentrate. You don't, you don't concentrate so you can't remember it when you're trying to remember it because you didn't get it down the first time. Sad mood, um, just down in the dumps, right? Everything is bad. Irritable. I think one of the big ones is withdrawing from people. In my church, everybody's got their own pew, right? And if Bob, who's been sitting in the right-hand side, third pew from the back, starts to miss church, where is Bob, right? Because if he is, he might not be depressed, but if he is and he's home and nobody says, where are you? What is that going to do? It just reinforces to him that he doesn't matter, right? He's been going to church for 20 years and now he starts missing and nobody even mentions it. This is not, this isn't good. The other thing that I think is really critical, when you get really depressed, I think you have a hard time making a decision, okay? So if you find yourself getting indecisive, that could be, or your spouse is really indecisive. If they were always indecisive, that isn't a sign, but if it's a change, that's, that's something. And then just physical signs, um, sleep is huge. Um, we all know if we don't sleep, it just makes everything worse. Your fuse gets shorter. You can't think. You're more likely to do something unsafe. You just make a bad decision. So sleep is a really important thing to guard. Oftentimes you, you might get to sleep, but then when you wake up and you start to worry, right? 
and you just can't get your mind shut off. And you're probably not worrying about how you're going to spend all your money when, you know, mail goes up to what? What do you want it to go up to, Paul? 20 bucks? 24 something? 40. 40. Oh, yeah, okay. 40. You know, you start to worry about all the bad things, right? And you just cannot shut it off. You have to kind of practice just going, you know, there's nothing I can do about it now and just, you know, try to set it aside. Um, change in appetite. Um, sometimes hygiene can be a thing. You know, if your neighbor is always clean shaven and now they're, they aren't shaving, they just look unkempt, um, that can be a sign. So if you notice these things in yourself, the biggest thing you can do is just reach out. You, you just have to talk to somebody. And if it's somebody you know, um, you can just kind of name it. You know, I noticed that you weren't here. And if they say, oh, well, I was, you know, I was sick, that's, that's fine. And they might not tell you anything the first time you ask, but what you've taught them is if they need to talk to you, they can talk to you, okay, which is a really important thing. And then I just have to talk about um, suicide. Um, I've taken care of a farmer that came as close to ending his life as anybody could come. I mean, he, he had a gun, he was in a pickup, and he was ready. He had gotten some devastating news about his loans, and he, that, was his, that was his answer. He thought... You know, just, this is the only option I have. And the thing about when you get that, in suicide is a, a very impulsive thing. But he made a phone call to a friend, and the friend called the sheriff, and he, he did not commit suicide. He came to the hospital instead. And within 24 hours, his whole thing changed. He realized that his son, he got off the bus and he went to spend the life, time with his dad, right? That was the kid's routine. Every day he spent the evening with his dad, and he came so close to not being there anymore for his son. It was, it was devastating. If you know somebody who's really struggling, um, I would really encourage you to, to reach out to them because it's an impulsive act. People's thoughts just get so narrow. They don't think they have any options, but in fact they've got options if they can just get help and then begin to look at what the options are. I mean, there are options. Right? You've got skills. There's nothing more important on a farm than a farmer. And then one last plug for therapists. I know that your health insurance, you typically have big deductibles, but on the farm, there are certain things that you pay for professionally. You take care of your cows to a certain point, but when there's something you don't know, you call the vet. Right? You seek out professional service. You've got a crop, you've got a nutrient person that you pay for their advice right? Crop consultants. You are the most important thing on your farm. You're worth spending the money to get a professional. Bonnie Haugen is a southeastern Minnesota dairy farmer and an education coordinator for the Dairy Grazing Apprenticeship. Manny's rotational grazing has been a key way for her farm to build long-term resiliency to the point where she and her husband Vance are now able to pass the operation on to the next generation. Bonnie ticked off several examples of how other farms in her community are building resiliency in the long term. Um, I see cover cropping to lower costs and, and retain their soil health, learning about soil health. Sometimes they're changing the direction of their operations. For example, selling the dairy, I mean, that is an option. may not be their first choice, but that is an option. Trying different crops. We have a farmer in our county that is expanding into garlic and asparagus as well as soybeans. Um, adding a small campground, we have that in our neighborhood. Doing a trucking business on the side. We have an Amish-style cabin for rent in our area. 
some people, instead of raising some of the row crops, are starting to graze for raise forages, learn how to do rotational grazing, and then they can custom graze for other farmers. And uh, another option is some people are beginning to work with companies that are paying for carbon sequestration. So those are some of the things I see for resiliency. Uh, beware of stress and depression. There is life after farming. Know your financial status. Utilize farm business management people. And then examine any advice that you get from your business consultants or bankers because they may be trying to sell you a product that is not really needed or beneficial to you. Have a succession plan or start one. Um, and remember, a succession plan is two major parts. Your assets and your business, and it's easy to get them confused. They're just put in the same pot too easily. At the very least, examine the business and know if it is viable or can be viable. And along with that, I'm also going to say that there are farm succession facilitators. They may be helpful because they're not the financial expat, uh, expert. They're not the legal expert. They're not the mind expert. Mm -hmm. But they can be very helpful in making sure you do the road map and ask the questions and you're finding out the answers that you need to find to make your plan. Um, be willing to consider new ideas, such as cover cropping, prairie strips, attend field days, pasture walks, conferences, soil health clinics. So, when I went to a soil health clinic, and, and there's many, many more things I need to learn about it, but if I remember the word right, and I thought this was so cool, glomulin, isn't that, that what, that's the glue in the soil, right? Glomulin? So, when you talk about, Paul, us networking and needing to work together, I sit here and I think, glomulin. <laughs> we need our glomulin <laughs> so we can not just learn how to work together, but actually keep working together. Farmers, that's a tough thing. We're pretty independent, but we've got to learn to give and take, and we need to work on our glomulin. Land Stewardship Project organizer and southwestern Minnesota farmer Paul Somosinski has seen stress in farm country before, particularly during the farm crisis of the 1980s. Just as it was back then, problems plaguing the farming community today are the result of public policies that promote the consolidation of agriculture, no matter what the cost to farmers, the land, or communities. That means the decimation of independent family farming is not inevitable. We can all have a role in creating a more positive future. Sobensinski says one way to deal with depression and shame in farm country is for people to come together and fight for policies that help farmers as well as the communities that rely on them. And the one piece that I think that's always important, that if you want to take people who are in depression out of depression, is to get them to be part of the fight back. And so in 1985, we stood at the steps of the state capitol in St. Paul with 17,000 farmers. It was two years of organizing before that. And when Governor Perpich once declared a moratorium on foreclosures and wouldn't have the courage to stand up to the banks, we told them that we're going to go out to Jim Langham's sale out in Glenwood, Minnesota, and we're going to stand up. And we did that. You know what we did there? A bunch of broke farmers. People were hurting in trouble. We were yelling, no sale, no sale, no sale, no sale. People standing with each other. And we did that time after time. Stood with farm families. They're losing their farms. And people were desperate. But you know what? There were other people beside them who were standing and supportive, and they weren't in shame. 
And we have to have the fight back to take people out of shame. Because this does not get better unless we come together as a community and stand up. Farmers did it in the 80s. And that's how we won uh, through those actions like mediation, like the Farm Advocate Program, like some of the things that happened with the funding for Farmers Legal Action flag. That's how we won in the 80s, right of first refusal. We didn't have mediation. We didn't have advocates. We had to fight for all that. And that's what we have now. But what don't we have now? We don't have a price for farmers. And we don't have farmers in rural communities. And we don't have church leaders. And enough people standing up and saying, this is not right that the farmer's share of the food dollar keeps going down. Farmers deserve a fair income. And that same piece is kind of what we have to do now. You all heard some of the farm crisis statements, pieces that we shared today about the Farm Advocate Program and about how important that is. But for the farm advocates to be successful, we have to provide more tools in the toolbox. We have to have pieces like if a farmer's in mediation facing crisis or bankruptcy, Minnesota, Minnesota legislature ought to provide health care for those people in that situation. Minnesota care. An outstanding program, allow them to have it. That be the qualification that they can get Minnesota care. We need to have a process by which when a farmer's loan is in a troubled situation, that they can get a guaranteed loan. Well, the state of Minnesota ought to cover their origination fee to help those people to provide the tools for the farm advocate, to help the farm advocate be able to help that person in, in trouble. And then we also need to, to really understand, I believe, that, that it's, it's the coming together um, and that opportunity, that exists. You know, we're gathering farmers to meet with our Commissioner of Agriculture, our Attorney General. Also, you know, uh, in Minnesota, one of the pieces that, that they did help some with dairy farmers was the Margin Protection Program. Minnesota put some resources into that. Well, we need more than just that. We all have pieces of a puzzle, and they all have to work together. But that's part of the deal that I believe that has to happen, is this fight back. If you or someone you know is having financial or emotional problems, be aware that help is available. The Land Stewardship Project has developed a list of websites, hotlines, and other resources for farmers and their families. It's available at landstewardshipproject.org backslash farmcrisis. If you or someone you know is struggling with stress, anxiety, depression, or suicidal thoughts, sometimes it's easier to talk to somebody you don't know. In Minnesota, call the Minnesota Farm and Rural Helpline at one 833 600 2670, extension number one, and talk to a confidential counselor day or night, seven days a week. Nationally, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is at 1-800-273-8255. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org, or you can call 612-722-6377. By the way, it helps us greatly. If you can give Ear to the Ground a rating on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever podcast platform you utilize. Thanks to Laura Borgendale, a Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 